parents who are concerned at all about their child, the most important thing you can do is just listen to them. Don't assume because the child is acting out that that, that's really what they're doing. I can't wait to share with you the wisdom I learned about dyslexia, neurodiversity, and creativity. It was like someone had gotten a key and unlocked a door that had been locked for a long time. Welcome to Wisdom Shared, where parents and their kids are the experts and where connection inspires change. I am your host, Carol Blueweiss. Today, Lynn Greenberg and her son, Jonathan, are my guests. During COVID-19, with a lot of unexpected free time in our hands, and for some of us quarantined with our family members for better or for worse, in this case, for the better, Lynn and Jonathan began to work on the concepts and ideas for their book, Robbie the Dyslexic Taxi and the Airport Adventure. Jonathan was born with dyslexia, but he was not diagnosed until in elementary school when he was not reading and writing on the level of his peers. Jonathan is now pursuing an art degree in graduate school. Lynn is a mother of four and a grandmother. She is also a retired attorney. Jonathan is her youngest. She knew he was intelligent and curious, but saw that he was struggling in school in a way that was different than her other kids. Welcome, Lynn and John, to Wisdom Shared. Thanks for having us. I want to congratulate you on your beautifully illustrated book. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm so excited to talk with you and to share all your wisdom with my audience. There's so much that you've been through already and are so articulate and creative about how you're trying to help other people with similar challenges. Lynn, I want to ask you, I've heard you say this, that it's important to listen to your children. I know you have three other children and you said somewhere that you noticed that John was different, but all kids are different. So do you remember when you first thought that he needed actual help and you needed to figure out what was going on and why he was struggling in school? Yes, he is my youngest of four. And I do know, obviously, every everyone learns differently. But John was, and I knew, super smart by, you know, two and a half. He knew every Thomas the Tank Engine name, but he couldn't tell you that Thomas started with the letter T. And if he was watching Sesame Street, he he really didn't like it. He didn't want to sing the ABC song. And I knew something was up. He just was learning differently. And people in his nursery school would be saying things to me like, you know, John's just a boy and he's slow. And I I knew in my gut that that wasn't right. So I kept pursuing it. And then finally we had him tested. And sure enough, classic dyslexic, super smart, but needed to learn to read and write differently. We'll go in more into detail about that and what maybe other parents and kids should look for. John, do you remember how you felt before you had a diagnosis? Yes, it it was pretty frustrating. I'm, I'm not going to lie. There was a lot happening then, and I felt really self-conscious about how I was doing in school and I was doing poorly then and the views of my teachers and peers. It was very debilitating in that respect. It was this dark, difficult time. And I was very, very frustrated. I think that's one of the reasons mom noticed that I needed help was because I was frustrated. I was mad. There was just a lot going on and she picked up on it. What's your first memory of that? Like, how old do you think you were? First memory of me acting out or first? Or feeling that feeling 
frustrated. Like that might that might be hard to pinpoint, but just, you know, more or less. I remember it was math specifically in this case, but I couldn't read any of the questions and I had to have mom help me do them because I couldn't figure it out. I remember just being so mad that I was, I, I think I threw a pencil at a window or something and I was just very angry then. He was so young when we first realized something was going on. He would sort of act out even in nursery school. And when I say act out, he would get up and walk around. I think it's important to not only hear what the child is saying, but but the the nonverbal cues. Why is he not sitting down during, or is your child not sitting down during class? Or why is he acting frustrated, like throwing that pencil? And I think that's what we all picked up on, that John was just not happy and not doing well in school on a lot of levels. And he was little, you know, it started like when he was three, four in nursery school. And what were the teachers saying? Were they suggesting that he get tested or get evaluated? No, unfortunately, they were not. They were being very negative. John is slow. John should stay back. John is a problem. John you know, has issues. And I knew in my heart that that wasn't the case. I knew he was smart and I knew something else was going on. I just didn't know what, because I wasn't as familiar with dyslexia. So I started reading about it and asking questions. I have a very, very close friend who's a pediatrician. I was talking to her about it. And finally, when he was of an age, when he could be tested, he was about six And I found him someone who could test him. And that's when we found out for sure that I was right. And his teachers, who should have been uh, up on it, were not. And I think it's unfortunate because so many teachers are burdened or don't have the education. And I think this is a whole other conversation. But I think that the experts are not always experts. So you really have to sort of listen to your gut and listen to your child. Jonathan, what was it like for you to have a label, a diagnosis? Do you remember that time when there was something you had? At first, I was a little concerned and frustrated because I, for one, didn't know what it meant to be dyslexic, but it it seemed like a big thing. And once it was explained to me, actually, I felt kind of relieved because this whole time I had believed what the teachers were saying and that I was slow and that I needed to be held back, all of that. And then to be told, no, it's not really your fault. There's just, you learn differently was such relief. I felt heard and validated in a way that I hadn't really felt prior. And I'd known my parents were listening to me and helping, but they were as uncertain about this as I was. And then once you get that label, you know where to go next. I wouldn't even call it a label per se. I call it more of just a a direction. You've used the word neurodiversity. Can you explain what you mean by that? Neurodiversity is a term that is slowly starting to take over learning disability I don't know exactly how it came about per se, but I am a strong proponent of using neurodiversity as opposed to disability because 
Disability gives a connotation that it is something to be feared or worried about, but neurodiversity means more along the lines of just a little different or go about things differently. And to me, being dyslexic or any of the other variants of it, being dyscalculia, ADHD, I believe is in there, and all these other learning differences and overall mental differences are kind of superpowers because they allow you to see things in a way that many others are unable to do. And to me, that is really special. In the book, I love the way that when Robbie, who's the taxi driver or the taxi, right? He's the taxi and and he has the same neurodiversity that you describe as dyslexia. He finds other ways to get to the airport. And just just that scene, I think, so clearly says in a story much better than you could say in words. There are many ways to do many things. You bet. Yeah. So I really got that from that little part, which we'll hear more about later. I wanted to ask maybe first you, John, and then and then Lynn, about the school that you went to after preschool, where they actually focused on or had strategies for people who were neurodiverse. I happen to know it was the Windward School. How do you explain John, how they taught you that was different? Well, the Windward School was specifically for people with dyslexia. It was their main purpose. And so there was math and there was science and there were these all these other classes, especially the later you got in, you progressed in years. But its main overall goal was to teach children with dyslexia how to read and write. So they had a special form of education, smaller classes. I believe, Mom, you remember what it was called specifically? They use a method called the Orton-Gillingham method. And obviously, John can speak to it, but it's a multi-sensory approach to learning how to read and write. And um, the children, and John, you you can take it from here, they learn differently. They have a multi-sense, they, they do different tasks to get to the same point. Yes. And so that would include things like we had to write in cursive because it stimulates a certain part of your brain that helps remember certain words better and letters. And we had to do it air writing, which was literally just sticking your arm out and writing the letters with your arm. And it's, it's sort of hard to explain without showing it, but just sticking your arm out pretty much and forming the letters with your hand. Once you're able to write at a certain point, you had a specific way of how to write essays. This, this was mostly at middle school. And that would include you needed a beginning, a middle and an end, and you'd have to write the opening and ending paragraphs as Less detailed, slightly more detailed, very detailed for the opening paragraph. And that was over three sentences. And then the concluding paragraph would be more details, less details, the least details. It was just a very specific way of going about things. Super interesting, all the things you said, but particularly the cursive writing, which I believe is really not taught so much anymore in the American school system. I know in other countries, they believe strongly in in the importance of that exercise and teaching that to kids because of the hand-brain 
connections. And everything that you said about learning. I think we don't as a society instill that in teachers. It's very hard, I know, to teach 20, 25 plus kids. You have to teach to the group. And unfortunately, I think this system could work for so many children. But also, I think we don't give the tools to the teacher, the teachers now to be able to teach to different kinds of students in their classrooms. And we don't give them the education to pick up why children are learning differently. And I think even the teachers who do teach kids with learning differences don't get those tools. And I totally understand they're overwhelmed, but also it would be very hard to to give one learning differences teacher the tools to teach 10 different kinds of learning differences. And I think it would be really important to have in school systems a learning differences teacher who might be able to teach children with dyslexia or language-based learning issues and teach kids with dyscalculia or dysgraphia. And I think that we don't do that. The umbrella is just too large. And in general, we need to value and help our teachers more than we do. And I think that's also an issue. Can you explain what those two other words are? Dyscalculia are people who have problems with doing math. And dysgraphia is the inability or difficulty with learning how to write. What happened next? Where did you go after Winward? Well, then I went to normal, quote unquote, school, which was a transition. And I was nervous about that. But the second I got into the learning environment and found that once I was remediated, there was really no difference in mm. how I'd go about learning or being alongside non-dyslexic students. That fear pretty fast went away. Was it like a, a cure, which I know it wasn't, but maybe talk to that. Was it strategies that you learned? Was it that anybody can really learn how to cope with whatever challenges they have? It, it was almost sort of like, Someone had gotten a key and unlocked a door that had been locked for a long time. And once it was opened, you can't really close it again. And once that had happened, I was able to go the rest of the way by myself. I had been given the training wheels on how to do things. And once I had gotten used to them, I could even myself get rid of those and do things my own way. Now it is more of a thing that colors how I do things and less a thing that defines me. How have your feelings about yourself? How how did that change? It's hard to shake feelings that you get when you're young. And the things I was told then have stuck with me for a while. It has colored how I view myself and it's difficult to shake. But because of all the support and help I've gotten over the years from family and friends, I have mostly been able to shake that. and. Now I'm able to view dyslexia as a superpower of sorts in that I can see things and view the world in a way that many are unfortunately unable to see. And I 
am happy with that because it allows me to show and find answers to questions that others wouldn't be able to. Can you give an example? One major thing, and it does connect to the book, was when I couldn't read or write, the only real way I felt able to express myself was through art. And even after I was remediated, that feeling never really went away. It was then supplemented by being able to write or read. But the overall, you can tell the world about yourself through images and create stories through it has always been something that fascinated me. And being able to do that has just been really amazing. Being creative has not come easily per se, but it is something that I have lived alongside for such a point that I guess you could say I have a very close relationship to it. He's doing so well and being humble that he's in graduate school and an art program. His artwork is amazing. And even though he has had a difficult time, I think it's made him into one of the most kind and empathetic people that I know on top of being super creative. The negative that he started with has turned into an amazing positive. And as his mother, I couldn't be more proud. And as his co-author with this book, We've had an amazing journey together, and it's really taken us to a place that I couldn't be more proud of. And honestly, the reception we've gotten has been so amazing that I think both of us feel pretty good about this creative project we've done together. I've read it a few times, and every time I read it, I see or feel or notice something different. What would you like to read? Yeah, and you want to go first? If you could describe the cover of your book and then what we're seeing when you read the page that you read. The cover involves Robbie, who is the main character in a city. Multiple buildings are around him. He's just sort of sitting there slash moving forward. The view of the viewer is if you're standing in front of a taxi cab from your perspective. And then you have Robbie the dyslexic taxi. And the airport adventure part is in a plane banner that's being flown across the page. That's the cover. I'll read this little snippet from the beginning. Uh, Every day in the city of Greensboro, a little taxi named Robbie wakes up bright and early for work. He loves being a taxi and can't wait to get down to business. And in this image, you just see a close-up of Robbie, what he looks like, and just a happy little cab, and he's excited for his day to begin. Why Robbie? What Where'd you get that name from? Well, my middle name is Robert, and so I didn't feel like I had the right to use Johnny the Dyslexic Taxi, but mom felt very, like, it was very important that I put myself into this character. So we compromised and came up with the middle name, and I, I don't regret that. And I'm just curious, why why did you feel not right about using your first name? I wanted to be able to connect to this character, but I wanted other people to be able to, too. And if they all knew that it was just the name of the artist, I felt like that would be slightly disconcerting or disconnecting to the viewer. And I I just wanted them to be able to read it and be 
oh, that's just a cute taxi. Originally, I was going to write it and John was going to do the illustrations, but pretty quickly we came to realize that John absolutely uh, had his own point of view and that we felt that that was very important. So we co-authored it. So he's definitely in here in in more ways than one in his thoughts about uh, dyslexia and in his amazing artworks. Truly a collaborative yes. effort there. It's fantastic. Yeah. So let's hear Lynn. Let's hear your your passage. So after that part, we go to the page where Robbie's getting ready to go to work and you can see people driving in a very colorful city. The word, the picture's on six and a little picture's on seven and the words are on seven. And I'll read part of the page and it says, on the outside, Robbie looks like your everyday cab. However, there is a part of him that makes him different from the other cabs and so much more special. You see, he is dyslexic. He has trouble reading the signs he drives under, but he is the most creative little cad you will ever meet. And that's partly why we decided to call the place where he works the Creative Cab Company. There are other vehicles and other cabs. And to be honest, the reception we've gotten is so amazing that we are going to be writing a series called the Creative Cab Company where Robbie and his friends and some new friends we're going to introduce will be in different stories in the series. And we'll have just not only cars and trucks that are dyslexic, but also have other neurodiverse issues. There will be ADHD and, and a variety of things because we saw that there are not books for children who have things like dyslexia. And we wanted children and their parents and educators to to see themselves out there in books. And, you know, what better way to do that than to introduce characters that are appealing and that might speak to this community. Yeah, that's beautiful and very well, much needed for sure. Since you know dyslexia, but you don't necessarily know other forms of neurodiversity, how, how do you expect to, to do that kind of research to be able to really get into the character? We want to talk to experts and people who have been in similar situations as me, but with different learning differences. So that has slowed the process a little bit, but we really want to stick with being as true to what this is as possible. And we've also come to know over the course of, you know, the journey in John in school that Many people who may have dyslexia also have maybe ADHD or another, you know, dys, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, and a variety of other things. So we have a little bit of knowledge, but we also are lucky to be able to tap into a group of people that we can talk to and get their professional opinions on the subject. So hopefully that will be helpful and we'll definitely bring that into our stories. Yeah, that's great for kids to be able to see themselves represented. I wonder if just one of you could just, um, I'm going to just set this up. And then if one of you could just, I'll tell you which page to read because it's one of my favorite. Um, so we have a on the page, which is 18, um, Robbie, who's in, he is the yellow taxi and it's a profile. And then underneath there are words. And okay. I just wonder if one, if one of you could maybe John, if you could read page 16, um, and 17. Robbie had never driven to the airport before, but because he's a brave little taxi and can get himself out of most pickles, 
He knows he can figure out how to get to the airport. Thinking hard, an idea comes to him. All I need to do, he thinks to himself, is follow the planes in the sky. He looks up, and sure enough, there's a plane that is getting ready to land. He revs his engine and follows the plane. As he drives, he begins to see signs with pictures of planes on them. Now he knows he's going in the right direction. At last, he arrives at the airport. Mr. Walter climbs out of the cab and says, Great driving today, Robbie. You got me here with plenty of time to spare. See you again soon. Great. I love that part. (laughs) Well, just just to set that up, Robbie normally takes uh, Mr. Walter to his office. And then Mr. Walter had gotten into the car and said, change your plans, Robbie. Ah. Robbie was very worried, but realized when he took a deep breath that he could figure it out because he is a creative and imaginative and smart little cab. And so that's how the story goes, progresses from there. Fantastic. I love it. John, do you like to read books? Yes, yes, I really do. I am also a big fan of graphic novels. They're a good bridge between my love of art and storytelling. I have been a voracious reader since I was able to read these books. And one of the first ones that I did was 2000 Leagues Under the Sea, the the children's version, because for years I had just seen this blue book with a squid attacking some submarine. And I was always interested as to what was going on behind the cover. The second I was able to, I found myself just reading it and was as cool as I thought it was going to be. What are some famous people that you know who've had dyslexia? Henry Winkler, Richard Branson, I believe Einstein was as well. I'm just going to add Steven Spielberg. (laughs) (laughs) And I think Princess Beatrice. There are so many writers and creators and engineers and the kids who are now adults that John went to Windward with are an amazing group of intelligent and creative people. And they've done so many things with once they've learned how to read and write, what they've done with that passion. It's a varied group and nobody should feel that they can't find themselves somehow. Some people who are remediated who may learn how to read and to write, but to varying degrees. But no matter what, if they tap into their passion, they'll be able to express themselves in so many different ways and they should not feel negatively about it. It's really, as John says, his superpower. And I think everybody has a superpower. They just need to be open and tap into that. Just for example, two people who I I went to school with, one of them has gone on to be an actor and the other is working in engineering, specifically aerodynamic helicopters and I believe even airplanes. So you you get a very wide range of things going on there. I know you want to do a series. Can I put in a request for an episode in your series? Okay, go ahead. (laughs) I would love to read a book about seeing all these kids when they're really young and all their personalities, you know, sitting at the desk and the teacher's reactions to those different personalities. And then find out in the later pages who they are as adults. Ah, well, it would have to be uh, little cabs and little trucks and little (laughs) who grow up. But uh, that's that's interesting. 
That's an interesting thought. And we can talk about doing something like that. The cabs that ended up using engineering skills versus acting skills. Yeah. I think, I think John and I see this book being sort of Thomas the Tank Engine like. And so each of these characters will have some sort of difference and how they explore that is how they they learn and grow. And so there will be a story for each of them and watch their growth as they learn to navigate whatever their difference is. And it's great for kids, too, that have a friend who is maybe getting bullied or, you know, that can be shown that, you know, this is their experience. Read about the experience. And that might change not just kids that have the difference themselves, but the friends of the kids. When we did a book signing, a child, uh, you know, came up to John and said, thank you for writing this book. I've never seen myself in a book. And I, you know, it made me feel so good because I could relate to what the taxi was going through. Mm. And and we did go back to Windward and John read the book to a group of kids and he was treated like the rock star that he is. They were asking for his autograph and saw themselves and and felt seen and heard and really appreciated the fact that we had done this book and that John as an adult had been in the same, you know, same shoes that they're in now. And some of them were scared and learning and struggling. And then when they saw what an amazing outcome that they could be successful, I think they really felt very positively. And like I said, we're asking John for his autograph. It was it was amazing. And I also see this just like I see my podcast as an educational tool for healthcare workers and teachers and parents to learn the perspective of their children. You're creating an encyclopedia of what it's like to be different. And so many people need to read that because there's no other way to really understand it, but through story and art and words. I had read the book to my grandson's then first grade class. And, you know, in first grade, many kids are learning how to read. They're starting. It was an amazing conversation because the kids were all asking, well, what does dyslexia mean? And what do you mean people can't learn to read and write? And it opened up a conversation And you could see that some of the kids who were struggling, who may or may not be dyslexic, were very interested. But as a whole, you know, the teacher and the whole group were very responsive and interested to know that other people could be, quote unquote, a little different from them. I think it's good for for everyone to have that conversation. Absolutely. You've already given, I think, a lot of advice for parents and for kids, but if there's anything else you'd each like to say that you haven't said about advice or even anything else that you'd like to say here, go have at it. I will say this goes out to parents who are concerned at all about their child. The most important thing you can do is just listen to them. I remember nights after I was diagnosed where mom would just sit reading. She just spent so much time trying to understand what I was going through. And before then, even, she took the time to just listen to her gut and listen to me. And that in itself was the greatest thing that could have happened. So just just listen to your child, trust yourself, and things will work out. I think it's really important to listen, not to the noise out there, but to what you think is going on and to listen to your child, the the verbal cues, the nonverbal cues, 
don't assume because the child is acting out that that that's really what they're doing. There's just a lot of frustration in not being seen or heard. And if we don't listen to what the child is saying, I think then that child will grow up um, without the proper tools that he or she needs. Unfortunately, our communities, our jails are filled with people who were not seen and not heard, who don't know how to read and write. And it's a shame our society does not value education the way it should. And I think it's important for all of us to really focus on our little corners as best we can. And that's our child and our families and what you know he or she may or may not need. That's my take on it. How did you come up with a taxi as the main character? I had been reading, it was COVID quarantine. And unfortunately, you know, we all couldn't see our families. And I was reading on FaceTime with my grandchildren. And John uh, was home from college. And as an artist, it's pretty hard to do art virtually. The The idea came up one day, maybe we should write a children's book and focus on what what other people might like to see. And John was happy to be doing more art. And the the idea grew from there. And it sort of flowed. What would a car do if it was trying to drive and couldn't read the street signs and was getting lost somehow? That's how it all started. And that's how the conversation began. And uh, the ideas grew from there. Car popped in first. John and I spent a lot of time in the car because Windward is a good 45 minutes from our house. So we would always be in the car together. And back then we would listen, Audible wasn't around, but we'd have books on tape or CD. And so we were always having uh, book conversations. And I think honestly that the idea for the car grew from the fact that, you know, I was driving John and, you know, I can read the street signs, but what what if I couldn't? The, the navigation wasn't great back then either. So, you know, how would I get to where I needed to go? And and that's how Robbie was born. And how did he become a taxi? Uh, John used to call me his taxi. So I think that's kind of how it was. Where can people buy Robbie the Dyslexic Taxi and the Airport Adventure? You can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it, go into different bookstores and ask, and they can order it on bookshop.org or barnesandnoble.com. We have a website, the Creative Cab Company, where people can go and find out where to buy it or certainly ask us any questions that they might have. We're on social media as the Creative Cab Company. We'd love to hear from people and hear what they have to say about the book and the upcoming series. When do you suspect that might be coming out? Well, John's working super hard in grad school. So, and we're talking to all these educators and clinicians. So it's taking a little while, but I would say in 2024. Thanks for joining me. I, I learned so much. I, I love hearing your creative process and so much brain work on so many levels. It's just, you know, nice to hear the inside story. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Your turn, Mom. Well, thank you for having us. This has been wonderful. So there you have it. A great example of a dynamic duo who converted an obstacle to learning into a vehicle to teach others. 
I love meeting interesting guests like Jonathan and Lynn who are on the front lines. They know what it takes to move through a challenge, which in this case can become a superpower that spurred them to write and illustrate a book in order to help kids and parents see their strengths. I encourage you to read and meet Robbie the Dyslexic Taxi. He showed me that there are many paths to the same destination. And stay tuned for more in their series. There will be links in the show notes on where you can find these books. Thank you so much for listening to Wisdom Shared. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to check out all the other episodes. Go to carolblueweiss.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like what you're hearing on Wisdom Shared, please spread the word and share this podcast with your friends. Leave a review and subscribe so you can receive wisdom every month. Thanks for listening.